0: I was waiting for an epic trailer, but we are not part of our Jacob series today or any other epic series. It's just me and the Bible, and we're going to go for it. Um, Before I really pray and press into our text today, and God's been working me through Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, so I'm going to bring that to you today and the deep love of God, how it goes through the dirt and through the reality of who we are. I want to just reflect for a moment because, as Jeff said, this is my last Sunday after being here for four and a half years, and it's been a very formative, special time for my life. I moved up here out of Bible college with really a heart disposition of wanting to perform, wanting to please people, wanting to do things well in a way that people would be like, man, that guy is called of God. Let's like make him do stuff and here, just have a public ministry. We love you. And I was like, yeah, because I'm called to that. And and just feeling like this humility of the reality that ministry is about Jesus, not me. And learning that, but really learning that God doesn't want my performance. He just wants my heart. You know? That He wants relationship. He wants me as a son. He wants me to enjoy Him. And that really, ministry isn't about my performance and what I can do, but really about exposing the performance of Jesus. Instead of having a Martha posture where... I'm working around to please Jesus. I can have a merry posture sitting at the feet of being pleased by Jesus because there's more to observe in the work of Jesus than there is to observe in the work of Peter McCarthy. And so that's like summarizing what I've been brought into in my time here at the transit. And I remember over the first eight months, Jeff would stand up here and be like, all right, the gospel's important. Here's what it means. I'd be like, why does he preach the gospel every Sunday? And then I started to realize it's because like, sometimes we treat the gospel as like a checkpoint, like getting into the Nats game, you know what I'm saying? Like, check your bags, you go through, it's like, I prayed a prayer, I'm in, right? Now I'm gonna go watch the show. And started to really understand, wrestle with the tension that, man, the gospel is Jesus wants into the depths of your soul. He wants into the nitty-gritty of your life and everything that the gospel centering on the cross, centering that... Our shame, our sin can be placed on Jesus because he wants to take it. And when we do that, when we believe on Jesus, that he can take the wrath of God for us, that he can take the punishment that's due our account, and when we trust him that we get everything that is placed on Jesus' account. And so I really began to believe that, and it started to permeate into the deepest, darkest places of my soul. And it's not an easy process. It's not an easy transition. Like, I've absorbed the gospel now, and now I'm like jovial and free and adopting orphans everywhere and ringing bells in front of Walmart. You know, it didn't like work like that, because what the gospel first does is expose sin. It exposes the reality of who we are because Jesus doesn't just want a perfect us. He wants the real us. He wants the real us and he wants us to know that he's engaging the real us. And when we come to the cross, we don't just come to like some Catholic picture. We come to the person God that's intentionally demonstrating to us that he wants relationship with the real broken us. And that's my journey even to this point. That's what I've gained here, a freedom to know I can be broken, jacked up, sinful people, because those are the kind of people God calls. (laughs) That's what he came to do. And he wants to paint the picture that the more you see your need for him, the more you're really going to see him. Like if you're not seeing your need, that you're desperate, broken, thirsty, are you really seeing Jesus? Okay. <laughs> but that that's part of my history at the transit to this point. And that's what this sermon's going to be about. But Let me also just, as part of my intro, because this is a hello, goodbye. I love the transit. And a lot of it is because I've gotten to get close with Jeff and know his heart, but also because I've gotten to get in the trench and know God's heart season after season, wave after wave of people, and see him build a church even when people move away and and start to see his heart for what he's doing here. He's the one building his church. We're not the one building the church. He's the one doing, and he's doing something more significant, more spiritual than we really have eyes to see. He's building his bride. He's building his body. And my heart has grown an affection um, for you, the transit. I haven't enjoyed the D.C. area. I was worried. When I began to work in Tyson's Corner, I looked around and said, everyone has an Audi and a BMW and everyone shops at Gucci. It doesn't even make sense. You know, I'm like walking around and I'm like, this is dangerous because my heart can grow cold here without me realizing it. It's a slow, subtle, grow accustomed to, just really obvious worldliness and I say obvious but it is subtle it's a slow draw most sin isn't like bam you sin hey you should repent it's this slow your heart changing and molding to the image of the world instead of the image of Jesus and I started to realize that but what drew me to relationship with Jesus is knowing that this body is here that here in the D.C. area, there's a refuge, there's a community, and the community of the body of Jesus is so much stronger and real and genuine than the community that the world can give us. The community centered around career, the community centered around money, the community centered around how perfect your children are. It's just so cheap compared to the community I found here centered on the gospel that I just talked about. And so I want to say thank you. Thank you for being my family. And I want to exhort you, commit to being in the process even when it's yucky. Even when you're wrestling through sin, don't distance yourself from the community of the bride of Jesus because he dwells here and he loves his people. I also want to say thank you to Jeff. It's not easy for me to leave. And the reason is because I've never been more loved, more discipled, more known, more welcomed in. My whole time here, church hasn't felt like I'm just here to perform a function, but that I'm invited in to a journey. That's, that's what the mission of the transit is, to just be together on the journey. And Jeff, I have felt so together with you that you've invited me into your walk with Jesus, your walk with the transit, your walk with your family, and you've been with me on my walk, every, every part of it. And it's really become our walk And I don't know how to articulate just how much that means. That I feel like a a changed person because you know all the brokenness about me and yet you still love me. And that you invite me into the family over and over again. It It will have implications for the rest of my life. Thank you. Thank you. I, I'm moving because I had to say yes to Jesus, and Brianna said yes to me. (laughs) 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 Woo! (laughs) Just trying to be real. (laughs) So I got to let you know, I, I keep telling her, action taken is measured by the treasure pursued. If you really find a treasure, you sell all that you have, you go after it. That's what the Bible says to do. And that's what your heart does. Think about it. If you find, maybe for you, it's the perfect vacation dream home or the perfect job and you move to Seattle or something, there's something your heart's after, craving, and when you find it, your actions begin to reflect, this is really, really valuable to me. And I feel like God's unified those pursuits for me. And I've always asked him to do that, a pursuit of him and a pursuit of my wife. And Brianna's that woman, I'm going to marry her. And she has explosive, radiant, deep joy in Jesus that that goes t- through the fabric of real life, through the pain of real life, and that's what I'm attracted to in her. And so I want, I want you to know that, that I'm not just getting married, I'm radically in love and, and objectively see just parts of how valuable she is, and I'm excited to pursue her for the rest of my life. It doesn't end when we say I do. All the ladies said, "It, man." <laughs> All the men are like, "Man, you better get like seven more credit cards." Feel <laughs> like you be like, better drop by Tyson's one last time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Hashtag trench. You know what I'm saying? Okay, let's let's jump into the text. All right, Jesus. Whoa! This isn't about me. We're here to expose the reality of who you are because you're good and you're loving and you're real and you're up in our face with gentle, like Aslan, just a presence of majesty and authority, but relationship, like, (laughs) whoa. And I pray that we would know you and feel you and experience you with the reality of who you are, like a lion roaring roaring because you're jealous for us. Pray you'd anoint your word that where I'm unclear, where I'm sinful, where I'm broken, God, that you would come through with just such clarity and authority and that you would reveal who you are and speak to us and deliver us and cause us to rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to know that I'm not speaking from a place of an expert, but as a broken, sinful, thirsty man. Like, I'm, I'm standing up here like, life is crazy, my sin is real, my heart knows that, and I'm in this battle with God of like, God, I need a new heart. And this passage for me over these last like six, seven months of, of just really wrestling with heart issues and sin that's been exposed in my life has brought in me this this deep understanding of the total depravity of man (laughs) and the rescue mission, the fierce rescue mission of God, and we need that. We need that. We need to know when, when our sin weighs on us deeply that there's something deeper in life That we can land on. And that's the love of Jesus. And so I want to bring to you this passage from really the heart of God. Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. If you want to bring up our slide, we can uh, read this text together. It's Ephesians 2 1 through 10. All right. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked that we should walk in them. And so what I see here is that we're dead people walking. We're the walking dead. Our lives flow out of our heart's disposition to God. And in these first three verses, we see that dead is dead, right? Not like, not like partially dead with like some good moral moorings, that we like picked up from Joel Osteen on TV or from our teacher in fourth grade. Not like some good, some bad, or I have done good things. We're like dead. And that's what sin produces. That when there's sin in our life, there is death. And death people, death people, dead people, (laughs) All these deaf people, dead people cannot make themselves alive. But not only that, we don't even realize that walking out of a place of sin, everything we do is sinful. Everything we do falls short of who God is. But we're not just dead. It says, We were walking, and we were walking because we were following the course of this world, and we were following the course of this world because we were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So, okay, a little history lesson for you. Rebellion towards God did not start with humanity. It didn't start with Adam and Eve. It started in heaven. It started with Satan, Lucifer, who was an angel really in charge of hovering over the glory of God, whose music would come out of his wings in adoration for an appropriate response to God. And he became more infatuated with his response to God than God himself. And began to think, man, who I am is more significant than who God is. And so he said, I will be like God. I will be like the Most High. And God didn't just correct his action. He spoke right to the heart and cast him down. And threw him out of his presence. And demoted him totally and they became complete enemies but not only that it says that satan is the prince of the power of the air and we remember it's it, well it says he's the spirit now at work in the sons of disobedience and so in his disobedience what he's been actively doing his whole tenure in relationship to God, since he's been cast out of heaven, cast out of the presence of God, has been wooing, drawing, influencing people in very powerful ways into his direction, into his leadership, so that we're following him, not God. But here's the thing. He first persuaded Adam. And Adam represented the whole headship of mankind. Adam represented all, all that God had created. And Satan persuaded Adam and Eve to follow his course, not the course of the living God. And now we're born with that. It's been passed On to every human living on the planet. And so we're first made, when we come into the world, there's rebellion in our hearts towards God. It's original sin. We're born with sin towards God. We're predisposed to be against God. And what we don't realize all the time is that we're not just doing our own thing. Sometimes we think that we have this deep, thing called free will, where we're doing whatever we want, and that's true. But I would tell you that at a deeper level, we're really either doing what Satan wants or we're doing what Jesus wants. Because the nature of our free will is in bondage to Satan and sin. So there's some evidence of following Satan. When we live in the passions of our flesh, verse three, and when we carry out the desires of the body and the mind, it says we're following Satan. But that seems so natural to us. We don't even realize that just who we are as human beings, there's this deep dependence really on the nature of Satan to just do out of who we are. So the thing is that we don't need to correct our actions. We need a transformation of who we are. Right? Because we're always doing out of our being. We're always following out of our Nature. So if you want to know the world's course, look at Satan's course. If you want to know where the world is going, watch Satan. Maybe doing what you want isn't just what you want. Maybe doing what you want is what Satan wants. Like, let that sink in. I think this is where Paul's going here. He's saying, You're so dead. And if we know something about dead men, dead men cannot make themselves alive. There's no one in the grave right now thinking, "Ah, I know life is great, but I've got some time. And eventually I'll come back to life. There's not even a consciousness of what life is. it would take the living god to step into our space the essence of life and bring us to a place of life delivering us from our sin from our shame so what i'm just trying to paint here right now is that this thing called total depravity it's total we're depraved deep inside of us. we there's There's no way of our own that we can please God. Get this, even our best, even if we were freed from sins of commission and we weren't doing things that dishonored God, we would have sins of omission in that we can never be as holy as God wants us to be. All right? So we're totally leveled here in that we can't please God apart from God. That's what sin has us in. It's this bondage. Our our free will is in bondage to Satan and sin. And all of our life is flowing from this place of bondage to sin. It's working in us in disobedience. And it's lived out in our flesh And we carry out our desires of our body and our mind. And here's the dangerous thing, church. We tend to justify a lot of these things. Oh, I need this. I want this. It'll be okay if we just buy this. Anything that really goes against your conviction of what Holy Spirit in relationship is drawing you to would really be sin. When we're violating the life that God has given to us. And don't worry, this text is going to get into the life God has giving, given to us. But I want to go where this text goes and drill deep on the fact that we're hopeless without Him. And even when we're freed Like the Egyptians, there's this temptation to live out of slavery that we knew for so long. And I heard this preacher say once, God doesn't just want to deliver us from Egypt. He wants to deliver the Egypt out of us. Right? Like that's the process of sanctification. That God's not done just delivering us from habit and sin. God wants to give us new hearts that see the freedom that he has for us. So if we're dead, how do we get life? Well, life is exclusive to God. You can't walk in violation of God's life and ways and receive life, right? Like if we think that we can walk in violation of God's ways and get life over here, we're not really getting life, we're getting death disguised as life, and that's what Satan does. Eat this fruit, be delicious. Or if you're dyslexic, it's ladicious. Let that sink in for a minute. <laughs> I've gotten really good at that. It's scary. Sometimes I mess myself up. Only true life, only eternal life is found in God. And we don't receive the rewards and merits of God apart from walking with God. See, God, (laughs) this is the cool thing about God. If you want to receive all that God is, you've got to be with God. He doesn't just give us things from a distance, right? He invites us into relationship and says, if you want to experience the life that can be found in me, you have to experience me. That's his call to us. And God's ways reflect his holy character. So all that God is, he is holy. He is perfect. He doesn't need anything outside of himself. And he lives from that place. He exudes who he is. He demonstrates all that he is in character. And we're going to see that's true of his love. Part of his holiness is his love and his humility, and that's good news for us. Innately, get this, we are not God. So we fall short of God, and that is sin, and that merits death. His command is be holy as I am holy. We're not holy as he is holy. Life is only found in God. And so by nature, this text says, we are children of wrath. It says, and you are by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Why? Because God doesn't just say, oh, you're sin." that's so cute. He has feelings for all of our actions. He has feelings and thoughts. He gives his whole heart towards his children. And so if God's really going to give life and rejoice in life, he has to also grieve and hate death. And sin causes death. He's not okay. He's not a passive God. He feels strongly about our sin. He feels strongly about what is going to bring us death, and he pours his wrath out on our sin. Sometimes it's a flood. Sometimes it's a firestorm. When Jesus returns, it will be the full wrath of God. So sin is not just anything that God dislikes. It's Also, the absence of being what God requires. Sin has so corrupted us, you can't even explore the depths. We can't please God without God's intervention. We need to see that. That's how God designed it. (laughs) We're going to get into that. It's really deep and awesome. That's where the Bible goes. And this is good news that we can't please God Without God. So I love the story of the woman caught in adultery. So Jesus is at the temple, and this is in John 8 1 through 11. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, uh, we 're commanded to stone such women, so what do you say and this is from deuteronomy they 're cutting out half of it that even from the beginning, even when God gave the law, he desired repentance, he desired people 's hearts that they might bring some charge to bring against him. So they're even looking for how Jesus responds. Is he gonna honor the law? And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. No one really knows what that is, but I've gotta imagine he's writing down the rest of what they were referring to. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground, But when they had heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, if you'll go with me here, close your eyes for a moment. What does it even mean to be caught in the act of adultery? What kind of sickos are camping out and then bringing someone naked and ashamed, totally doesn't even have a moment to process what's going on. From secret pleasure to total public exposure, dragged before Jesus, dragged before the Pharisees. And I want us to each imagine the emotional place this woman's in and then think, Should we be there in that moment too? I know I should be. I know that Jesus has caught me red-handed in my sin over and over and over again. And I feel the weight of that. I feel the weight of shame. And I feel the weight of what I've done. I feel exposed. Is there anyone here who can rescue me from this place of shame and trauma? of being fully known, and in steps Jesus, and he doesn't give us what we think we deserve. You can open your eyes. He doesn't give us what we think we deserve. He doesn't bring us to jail and say, how dare you? Because what's more terrifying is that he gives us himself, How are we then going to treasure the living God set before us that wants to give us himself? Sinful people can't atone for ourselves, can't make it right. There's nothing you can do in that moment of being fully known by God, fully ashamed. But this is where our text goes. Verse four, but God being rich in mercy... He is rich in mercy. He has mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What Paul wants to do here is saying, you're dead, you're dead, you're hopeless, you're dead, you're dead. You can't rescue you, but this is the nature of God. There's an adversative, a change in direction. He's saying, look, try to save yourselves. You're going to fail because you don't even know what salvation is. You don't even know the rescue you need. But our God is not a God that stays on his throne. Our God's not a God that says, deal with it, people. Our God's a God that gets off his throne and gets into your space. He gets into the real sin. He pulls the curtain back and says, I know you, and I'm coming after you because I love you. He loves the real you, and you don't have to wonder for a moment is this a love that's going to fade away? Or once he really knows the real me, he's going to take a step back? That's not where Jesus is coming from. Eyes wide open. My favorite verse in the Bible, perhaps, is Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So wait, he had love. He demonstrated his love while we were sinners. So he looked at us knowing fully who we are. And he doesn't just say, I love you. He comes after us. He lays down his life for us. Before he gets on the cross, he washes our feet. (laughs) He's committed to the end to show you that in your shame, even in the places you think you can't receive because you're not worthy and you know you're not worthy, he's come to say, I'm worthy. And this is how I choose to show my love to you. And the real question is, can you receive it? Because if you can't, you're trying to make yourself righteous before God. But if you believe and receive the grace of God, you'll have the righteousness of Jesus. And that's what we want is the righteousness that Jesus gives us. So He's made us alive together with Christ. See, I love this. It doesn't just stop with By Grace you have been saved. He raised us up with him and seated us in heavenly places with Jesus. This is what it means to be saved by grace. Not just to know you and to cancel out your sin, but to give you what you do not deserve to give you a seat in heaven with the king that forever you'll experience the full joy, the full knowledge of his holiness and this freedom that he brings you forever, freed from the bondage of your will, freed from the bondage of your sin, freed from that innate disposition that just out of it flows sin and sin and he changes you and rescues you and brings you to the place where he is. Whoa! There should stir in you a rejoicing. This is the gospel. This is the news we can bring to the world. Why are you dismayed, world? Why do you not know that you don't have to stay there? Because God did not stay where he is. And you just got to receive him and say, I want that. I need that. How could I be rescued apart from that? That's who he is. It's not just to save you from hell. His rescue mission is to give you all that he is. He wants to be known by you. He wants to be enjoyed by you. You should say, man, this Jesus guy, he's so intense. I love him. You were made for relationship with the living God. You were made in his image. You were made to fellowship, not just in a garden with him. In his body, united with him, to be his church, to be his bride. You were created to richly enjoy Jesus as he fully gives all that he is to us. So, I want to invite you to be transparent about who you are, about sin just in your own life before God with someone, with your spouse, say, this is where my heart's at. I've started to realize that our intimacy will go as deep as our transparency. That when we begin to say, this is who I am, we start to see who God says we are. We start to see the fellowship that he has For us, that when we begin to be fully known and say, I'm fully known, we start to see the full love of God come into us. The reason why he did all of this, verse 7, is so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable, check that you can't measure it, riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God is on a mission to be kind to you. He knows everything you've done. He knows where you're at right now. He knows the words you spoke this morning to your spouse. He knows what you're planning to do after the service today. And he's just like, my heart's not fluctuating towards you. I want to be kind to you. That's the heart of God for you. God gets most glory by giving his best to people that deserve it the least. You see that, right? That we're not bringing anything to this situation. And if you think you are, drop it right now. You're going to miss out on the goodness, the fullness of Jesus for you. Because we're intended to have all that Jesus is, not hold on to all that we think we are. Where sin runs deep, His grace is more. God's grace is not just to cover our sin, free us from guilt, and give us a clean conscience. God gives us grace to draw us into intimate relationship with Him. So don't hold yourself from encountering His grace in the deepest places. Just a little testimony about my life. Early on in my relationship with Brianna. We got into the deep stuff just fast. I don't think it was like the fourth or fifth night. I told her the deepest, darkest stuff about me. She didn't walk away. And then the next day, I called her up in tears, weeping. And I was like, babe, I lied about how deep my sin is. Here's the truth. Here's the reality. And I was like, if you want to hang up now, I totally understand. She's like, I'm not going anywhere. Okay, wow. But that's what I long for. That's what we long for in relationships is to be fully known and be fully loved. To have a God that really knows us to have a God that sees us as we are and to say, I love you. And in that moment, freedom happens. In that moment, we really feel deeply loved that, man, I don't have to hold anything back. I'm not living out of a place of fear or trying to control how people see me. I'm living out of a place of being fully known and being fully loved. And it is the most freeing place to be in. Good news is God is committed to making us new. Not just saving us from the old, but making us new. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Stop. Faith is mentioned here for the first time. So before faith comes mercy, comes love of God demonstrated, comes being made alive in Christ, comes receiving the Father's immeasurable riches and being seated with Jesus in heavenly places. So if you're ever wondering about how much you really contributed to your salvation, just remember that before you were like, Lord, come into my heart. He was making stuff happen. He was rearranging heaven for you. Right here like all right. He wasn't he was like, Okay, right, Lucifer, you gotta go on in like this room for Um He was creating space for you. He was making plans. <laughs> They're telling me to stop back there. <laughs> I'm almost done. Don't stop believing hold on to that feeling. <laughs> Streetlights, people. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry, it's a journey. Okay. <laughs> this is not your own doing. He's making that case. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, not a result of you doing out of you so that you can boast and be like, look what I've done. But this is the result of Jesus working for you to make you new. And we are his workmanship. We're walking around representations of, look at what God has done created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We shouldn't ever just consider the gospel and then go and do good. We should live from a place of so receiving the love of Jesus that we let it flow out into our lives. God's not looking for us to check off our list of doing things for Him, but walking with Him in partnership with Him, doing all that He does. We're created for this. We're created for this. I want to close. The worship team can come up by reading... um, Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. Because it gives us just a larger picture. Going to drop it in this bucket and here. The love of God for us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Note that even before Adam and Eve had sinned, it was the plan that Jesus would be involved. (laughs) I thought Jesus was like plan B, like because we screwed up, he had to come. I think he was plan A, that from the beginning, God wanted to give us a relationship and a righteousness that was better than our own. Better than what we could give. He wanted to show us how broken we are so that we could see life in him and know him and realize how holy he is and realize his humility that he wants to step into our space. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons to himself through Jesus, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ Jesus as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Church, God is going to unite all things in Jesus. He's going to unite us in Jesus. He's going to unite you and me in him. He's going to unite us to Jesus, And the way he's going to do that is by relentlessly coming after us, by in our deepest sin and our deepest shame, even when we're not aware of it, stepping into our space because he's got a plan bigger than this moment. He has an eternal plan where forever we're gonna say, this is the work that Jesus has done for us personal testimonies of seeing the goodness and the glory of Jesus Christ. That's where this is going. This is the plan for all of time to unite all things in Jesus. In a moment, we're gonna come up and we're gonna be remembering how we've been united in Christ. That he gave his body for us so that we could be his body he gave his flesh and blood for us so that we could believe upon him and give to him our sin and our shame and receive his life and be united in him and so when you come to the communion table remember that Jesus wants to give and has given all of him to get all of you to bring you to himself and to unite us as a church in him. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your love for us. Jesus, I thank you that you went to great lengths, that you stepped into the reality of where we are. You've known us. You've known us, the real us. and you didn't leave us there. You come and you give us you. What more could we want? I pray that you would align our hearts to desire you, the most desirable one in the universe, that we would see you as you are, and that our hearts would respond appropriately. Jesus, I, I pray that if there's hurt, if there's healing, if there's shame, God, that we need to bring to you. God, that you would just, you'd step into our space. <laughs> that we'd be forced to just give our hearts to you and just say, wow, thank you for intervening and stepping in. Jesus, we love you. And we acknowledge that you're the one working in us for our good, for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.